Hello and welcome to episode 10 of Inherited Will, a One Piece podcast. A weekly podcast discussing that week's manga chapter, news, and a reread of past chapters. My name is Thomas. And I'm Jordan. And before we actually start today, we do have a quick accessibility announcement. As we announced on Twitter a few days ago, the podcast is now available on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. So feel free to give us a listen on one of those if they are your preferred medium. If you're listening on YouTube, links to those things can be found in the description down below. And also on our Twitter, Inherited at Will Podcasts. So again, feel free to give us a listen on there. Furthermore, I couldn't find anything of particular note for the news segment this week, so we'll be skipping it. We'll be going straight from the manga discussion into the manga reread. So Jordan, unless you have anything else to add, we'll be covering manga chapters 1007 and manga chapters 101 through 114 right now. Yeah, let's get right into it with, you know, bringing up how we were correct about the boss. (laughs) Mr. Hyogoro is doing... Well, he's got a head, so he's doing all right. (laughs) Indeed. Considering the two options were either beheaded or firmly attached, I think it's safe to say he's doing all right. Yeah. (laughs) On this first page here, they say that virtually all the captains of both the Oniwabanshu and the Mimawaragumi are down. So I guess those are the main, like, Wano factions that were associated with the Beast Pirates. So... Yes, the heavy hitter Wano foes are now down. So good for the team. Yeah, I went back when I was reading it to make sure I knew exactly who these two groups were. Mm-hmm. And they're basically the secret police that used to work for Orochi, but now work for Kaido. So like, yeah, they got to be formidable, but they went down pretty easily from what I can tell. Indeed. Most of them off screen. I think the two uh, samurai guys, Hote and the other guy over there were the ones that got bopped by Hyogro with his weird hair slash last chapter. Yeah. But the ninjas, eh. Apparently not much to talk about there. Considering they were like named characters that got like an Oda boss and everything, I guess I'm kind of surprised they went down as easily as they did. But, you know, these kind of like gang characters introduced all at once don't usually account for much most of the time. And also ninjas are usually used for, you know, stealth or surprise or assassinations or whatever. I don't know if they would necessarily fare as well on a one-on-one fight with a samurai who's Mm -hmm. kind of built for that. True. Yeah. Especially ones that are being buffed by Oni powers. Right. Yeah. The odds were really (laughs) stacked against these dudes. Indeed. It's rough to be a ninja when there's demon blood flying around. But like Jordan said, I forget the name of this particular Yakuza man, but he goes in for that final swing, hesitates though, because, you know, it's his boss and all that. They tease it a few times, like the zoom in on the sword rays and then the crying. And then there's Mm -hmm. another one of the Yakuza leaders who's, I guess, going through the exact same thing. So, like, these guys are feeling many things, and, well, I, I feel for them. Indeed. If I recall correctly, and I could be mistaken about this, these guys were all in the prison in Udon. But I think they said when they got busted loose that they didn't even know Hyogro was still alive. So I can imagine that thinking you had lost someone you respected this much, and then being forced to shortly thereafter kill that same guy, that probably sucks. Yeah, it, it would take a toll on pretty much anyone, I think. Indeed. Queen decides to go off on a bit of a tangent for the next several pages about how much the pleasures, etc. suck. They're planning on being thrown away anyway. Too bad. No more smiles. You guys are just going to be useful in the capacity of uh, being Ice Oni. So probably shouldn't have said the quiet part out loud. (laughs) Yeah, I, I can't tell. Maybe he's just kind of frazzled after putting up with Marco for a little bit and He's not exactly thinking straight because I can't think of why you would say this to people that you want to sacrifice themselves for you. Well, I suppose in his brain, they're all going to become ice Oni soon anyway. There's nothing they can do about it, even if they do swap sides, so to speak. That's true. So, I mean, I agree that he definitely shouldn't have said this, even if he does think that it won't matter because why? Why take the risk? You know, right? But, but that—that's 
a good point. I hadn't considered that. They're pretty much going to turn into mindless warriors in his head. So, you know, point, point taken. Indeed. Still not a wise move there, Queen. No. <laughs> Shouldn't have did that. <laughs> no, no, no. But that's pretty much all that goes on for the next two pages. Mm-hmm. Him going on about how they're dispensable. Then, the moment of truth has come. The guy whose name I still do not know goes in for the final swing to murder Hyogoro so that he can't kill all of them. Fortunately, the buffest man alive, Chopper, stops his sword slash with one hoof. Yeah, in his base form. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> I was shocked by that. Like, is is this man not really committing? No, because you can see the impact. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. I, I guess Chopper has leveled up. And this isn't like your average scrub. Well, doesn't seem like any of the Wano Samurai are scrubs per se. But this is a higher tier. This is like a, a Yakuza boss type man. Right. So like you said, maybe if he's holding back because he doesn't really want to cut the man's head off. But I don't think that's what's happening here. No, no. I think that would be very strange. And as far as I know, Chopper doesn't have armament hockey, does he? Uh, Don't think so. Yeah, so like... Maybe, I don't know. Maybe his hoofs are stronger than Seastone. Who can say? I think that's the most likely conclusion. <laughs> uh, but there he is on the following page. Made it just in time. The cutest man and the strongest man. Mr. Raccoon Dog. The Tanuki himself. There he is. I'm a big fan. Big, big fan. <laughs> Indeed. Oh, boy. Now, I assume, though, that the reason Chopper took so dang long and cut it this close is because he was figuring out a way to make the antidote Cannonball Cloud look like him. <laughs> is that a fair assumption, do you think? I think so. I, th- <laughs> I think that Miyagi and Tristan were like, we can do this and get it done. And Chopper was like, hold on. I only get so much screen time. I'm going to pump up the cute factor. <laughs> and he was right to. I mean... I'm still not, and we'll get into it in a minute, but I'm not entirely convinced this is going to turn into a full-blown chopper fight. So it's very possible this will be like his highlight of the arc. So, you know, gotta get those cool moments in while you get them. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. He shoots the cannonball, big ol' copper phase nebulizer cloud. Queen has a question, though. What the heck are you doing, Tanuki, raccoon dog? Uh, apparently, what Chopper has done is he created his own virus using the antibodies to counteract the other ones. So he created a counter-virus to Queen's virus. So he'd spread it in the form of a mist. Wise guy, that choppy. Yes, very wise, apparently. I mean, he caught Queen off guard with how quickly he could produce this. And as we've said before, like, Queen, even though he's not specialized as a doctor, as far as I know, he's definitely no dummy. So for... Someone in his position and with his knowledge to be actually surprised by this, that does say a lot about Chopper and and how good he is at what he does. Indeed. We've seen this man create a number of viruses in the past, and I think this is the second one, but even so. And he called this one like his magnum opus, I believe. So he had a lot of confidence in this one, and Chopper counteracted it, and we don't know exactly what the timeline is here, but less than an hour, I would imagine. Right. Yeah, I would. I was trying to piece it together in my head, but like this whole fight has probably been less than an hour. So yeah, very impressive. And even had the time to make the cloud look like him. What a guy! Super genius, cool. choppy. I mean, maybe he asked Frankie to help him with that one. I feel like Frankie would be good at that. Maybe that probably would have had to happen in advance. Like, all right, Frankie, can you make me like a kind of a template? So I can just... Th- yeah, like, just <laughs> <Yeah>. in case. <laughs> I need some sort of explosive that when I add a, like, projectile mist type thing into it, the explosion is a cloud that looks like me. Can you hook me up with that? <laughs> yeah, Frankie probably would have been able to pull something out of his chest cavity, just like, oh, yeah, I keep one on hand all the time. <laughs> yeah, here you go. <laughs> Made this, like, three or four years ago, just on a whim. Here you go, yeah. Chopper. Perfect. That's my head, yeah. I like that plan. Queen doesn't like that plan, though. He shoots some mouth bullets at our favorite Tanuki. And some of the guys that Queen was yelling at a short while ago about how badly they suck literally take bullets for Chopper. Yeah, it's... He's jumping in front of him. 
It's a surprising turn. I mean, this change in attitude is almost equivalent to, like, how Luffy usually affects people, you know? Mm -hmm. It's surprising to come from somebody else other than him. Indeed. Aside from, like you said, Luffy, I don't think, and, you know, Tama, like, mind-controlling people and the changing their minds about stuff. Yeah. But uh, this level of charisma (laughs) isn't very common with One Piece characters. Not our boys, at least. Right, yeah. Being saved from a homicidal boss, I I would probably, you know, I, I'm not saying I'd take a bullet for someone, but <laughs> I'd get close. Indeed. It says there are thousands upon thousands of warriors on this floor. So that's not a specific number, but several thousand <laughs> at the very least. Yeah, many. And less than 4,000 people total are Wano samurai, right? Like on the entire island. Mm-hmm. So I would say most of those, at least 2,000, <laughs> are probably uh, foes that potentially Chopper just turned into allies. So that's pretty dope, Chopper. Well done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and even if they don't go like fully onto the other side of allies, them just giving up would also be pretty dang helpful. Indeed. The subtraction to the foes' forces is still very good. Especially mm-hmm. if some of them are willing to take bullets for our main guys. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If we have enough of those, this this whole arc's just done. Indeed. No more consequences. Quite so. Queen, not pleased about this face turn. Marco, though, is very impressed. He's like, wow, what a cool guy this raccoon dog is. Let me grab Queen by the neck for you. Take a free shot, my guy. And take a free shot he does. <laughs> oh, very much. Indeed. Now, did Marco know about Chopper's beast form before this? Or was he expecting Tiny Chopper to run up and smack Queen? You know, uh, hmm. I mean, he may have heard about it, but this arc is the first time Marco's met any of the other Straw Hats aside from Luffy. Exactly. So I'd say he did expect Tiny Man Chopper to run up there and pop him on the face i mean he saw him bought that sword so (laughs) that's a good point he knows he's gonna deal some damage (laughs) yeah yeah and god yeah the blood coming out of queen's mouth still kind of confuses me because again like i think you said this last week he's a zoan type and he's large even for zoan types Mm -hmm. so for him to take this amount of damage from literally an open hand like I don't know if it's necessarily a slap or more of a, like, claw or rake, since it's Chopper, who's technically an animal. But, like, he is spitting up a lot of grossness, which is still surprising. I mean, we've seen many times in the past just how strong his uh, monster point is. Most of our guys struggled pretty badly against their respective CP9 fights back in that arc, right? Mm. But as mm-hmm. soon as Chopper turned into Monster Point, he, like, wrecked that guy. That's true. I forget his name, but, uh, like... The one in the fridge? Yes, the one in the fridge. Uh, Kumadori. The guy with, like, the, the wiggly hair and, like, sumo moves and all that stuff. And aside from him, Monster Point hasn't done too much in terms of, like, practical use. But presumably, Chopper has gotten more powerful since then. So, the kind of made sense that he could deal this level of damage to queen especially if he was kind of like taken off guard that's true and also chopper is pissed like he <laughs> is he is livid right now i am sure so that also lends to uh, a healthy smack quite so jordan have you heard the theory about like what the true nature of the monster point is uh no i don't think so there's a popular theory that uh, when Chopper eats a rumble ball and he turns into his monster point, he's kind of artificially activating awakened Zoan mode for him. Mm, mm, okay. So, so, okay. So correct me if I'm wrong, but the only awakened Zoans we've seen so far are the guards from Impel Down? I believe that is correct. All four okay. of them, if I remember the number correctly were stated to be awakened Zoans by Crocodile. Okay. Yeah, I could see that making sense. It fits his character, and it would explain why this transformation is even possible. So I kind of like that. Indeed. So if that's true, it makes even more sense that uh, he'd be able to pop Queen so good here. 
Yeah. Also, Queen has been fighting Marco. So, like, I guess the reasons are stacking up for this to make more and more sense. Indeed. One of the reasons Chopper is so angry here is that uh, people have been calling him a raccoon dog, a tanuki, all chapter. And uh, he's finally fed up with it. <laughs> and everyone's uh, reaction faces down there are real good. <laughs> yeah. I love that Marco is either still holding Queen with one hand while he's covering his mouth, or he is like floating there next to him and he's just like oh no <laughs> <laughs> i done goofed yeah drake's there all the way on the left is especially funny to me <laughs> <laughs> yeah his eyes give off so much emotion there quite so now i would have to go back and double check but when hyoguro was like in his buffed up form his pudge man form last chapter mm -hmm. he didn't quite look the way he does in this reaction shot right that's like little man heodro there right it definitely looks smaller my guess for why that happens because i noticed that too is that he's cured of the ice oni which mm -hmm. is what was making him large so like it does I, at least i think it makes sense <laughs> well sure i just wanted to confirm with you that that is indeed what we think is happening here okay gotcha so. yes Compared to last chapter, Hyodro is in theory not going to be quite as useful in combat as he previously was. But there are plenty of other buff boys on that floor, so it shouldn't be too bad. Yeah, I'm going to give him a pass. He's done enough. <laughs> Indeed. And he's, like, really old, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Can't blame oh, yeah. him too much for being a small man. No. Before we cut away from that, do you think that this is going to turn into a larger queen versus chopper thing? Do you think he's going to, like... <sighs> solo queen now for example i would be very surprised if it turned into a solo match like a 1v1 mm -hmm. just because like based on what is happening in this chapter the proximity of the at least four yakuza bosses drake marco and chopper being next to queen that means anything could happen here true I kind of hope that it turns into maybe a chopper with Drake supporting him fight. I think that would be pretty cool because Drake is still, at least in my head, he's still kind of fighting to prove where he's at. Mm -hmm. If I were any of the good guys, I'd be extremely cautious of Drake because he has already shown how quick he can be to turn sides. Yeah. But I would love to see two dinosaurs fight with a, giant reindeer <laughs> like it'd be it would be a cool couple chapters hopefully or maybe just one who knows well you gotta remember also that as far as we know i mean this may have been changed between the last time we saw it and now but as far as we know the rumble ball still has that three minute time limit after which chopper becomes incapacitated for a while so uh yeah if this does turn into a confrontation between him and queen you gotta wrap it up real quick if he wants to stay useful <laughs> That's true. We'll have to see what happens there, I guess. But now it's my turn to say before we move on from this. Uh -oh. I just wanted to point out that Chopper in his monster form does still have the same hat that he was wearing in his base form. Yeah, he sure does. I guess it's squeezing his brain real hardcore right now. <laughs> no, I think it got bigger, which it, it, it leads back to the question that you keep wanting to ask. <laughs> like, what happens to these things when... People go into their zone form or whatever. Apparently hats, at least, can grow with you. Well, clothes have actually been addressed by <laughs> Oda in the past. What happens to them? He's been asked, like, hey, Oda. I think this was an SBS around the CP9 confrontation. He was like, hey, Oda, uh, why don't people's clothes and such get destroyed when they become, like, big old zones? And his response was, they just don't. <laughs> so... Oda, at least, doesn't want us to think about it too hardcore. Well, yeah, sure. Actually, I think in one of the SBSs of the reread chapters we did this week... Indeed. Someone actually asks that again, and he says, well, wouldn't that just be distracting if their clothes disappeared? And sure, I get it. But, like, it is weird that the hat stays, but his chest piece doesn't. Yeah, that's a little bit weird. <laughs> yeah, so we don't have to get into it, but like the mystery Indeed. deepens. Just wanted to make sure that further was out there. Further and further down the rabbit hole with each passing week. We're on to you, Oda. Mm -hmm. We're going to get to the bottom of this. One day. Watch your back. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else to say about uh, this queen 
chopper, et cetera, thing before we move on to uh, Yamato and company? No, I think we've given Chopper his his proper time. Indeed. More than a fair shake. (laughs) That takes us to the right brain tower inside the dome. Still not very clear on where that is, but Yamato and company are no longer in that big ol' uh, queen, etc. room anymore, I guess. Momonosuke's kind of feeling down on himself. Everyone else is like, ah, no, you're good. What a cool and brave guy you are, Lord Momonosuke. That, for some reason, triggers him to freak out, transform into a dragon, and burst out of Yamato's clothes, surprising everybody involved. Yeah, I can understand where he's coming from. You know, he's supposed to be the next ruler of this land, the next leader, and here he is cowering and running away. But he's a child, so he doesn't really understand the, like, the tactical necessity of that. Mm-hmm. So it, it can be, I can understand him being in a conflicted state. I suppose so. I mean, that I definitely understand. But part of the reason they're like fleeing him with him right now is that he was like messed up by Conjuro pretty early up in this whole confrontation, right? Mm-hmm. But from the start, even if it had gone according to plan, they like raided it, no one knew they were coming, Conjuro wasn't involved at all. Somebody would have been having to protect Momonosuke anyway. So if that's the case, and I get like the quote-unquote leader of the, the army has to be on the front lines, but he's a child. You were going to have to protect him from the start. Why bring him if this was going to be the outcome? You know? That's a good point. Yeah, they could have just left him on the shore. Indeed. I don't think he would have like wanted to put up with that, and he is technically in charge, but it's odd. Yeah, it's an odd like confliction between like what they should do because he's an infant, <laughs> pretty much, <laughs> and like what's good for the morale of the army. But yeah, yeah, here we are. Yeah, and I don't think this is actually what's happening here. I think he's just like curving his body around her. But in that panel where he's bursting out of Yamato's clothes, it looks like his body is like phasing through her stomach. Oh so yeah, it looks silly. like a scene straight out of <laughs> Alien. Indeed. Poor Yamato. What a surprise that would be. Uh, I'm shocked for her. Indeed. And Shinobu is almost as shocked. Yeah. Almost. That takes us into a quick check-in with ya boys on CP0. They're just having a chat about all sorts of things, I guess. Still not a care in the world, these guys. They're like, hey, uh, did you know that when Kaido was captured by the Navy back in the day, Vegapunk did some experiments, extracted what they call his bloodline elements, and used them to make an artificial devil fruit. Apparently, he considered that a failure, stored it in punk hazard, but oh well, it blew up anyway, right? No need to worry about that, right? No, no worries here. Have we heard of bloodline elements before? We sure have. That is what Vinsmoke Judge used to clone people, and also genetically modify his children. We don't know like what the details of that. It kind of sounds like it's just like DNA genetics from sure. how it's been described previously. Mm-hmm. But that specific term was used to describe how judge sciences. <laughs> okay. Which made sense because they were like partners back in the day. Right, yeah. Makes absolute sense. It's very interesting to see Oda use the cypherpole people as wells of exposition. Indeed. I feel like they've almost given us more information in this arc than anyone else on, like, the grand scheme. What do we think this means for Momonosuke's power? He says here, Vegapunk declared it a failure, right? But we can see from Momo that it worked, right? He does transform into a little dragon. Mm -hmm. So why would Vegapunk declare that? failure and why is the cp0 guy so pleased from his perspective because he doesn't know any better that it was a failure is he implying that vegapunk was trying to bring out some like additional power on top of what i don't know kaido can normally do what do we think is going on there? yeah i tried to give this some thought and vegapunk is i mean he's definitely mysterious we don't know all that much about him really i mean we do but not much. <laughs> right. So I 
I don't know, I had one thought where maybe Vegapunk was, you know, saving that fruit. Maybe he knew that it actually was good, but he told others that it was bunk and he was going to use it somewhere to his own advantage because I see him as someone that, like, yes, he is obviously working with the world government, which is suspect. You know, he, he would do anything to give himself the edge, I feel. We just don't know enough about the guy to see where his loyalties really lie. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll see where that goes, I suppose. But I do think it's silly that Vegapunk creates what seems to be a perfectly good, functional devil fruit out of nothing, pretty much. Considers it a failure. And uh, meanwhile, Caesar Clown creates <laughs> devil fruit clones where, like, a hippo, a fully grown hippo grows out and around you so that you were inside the hippo's mouth. Yeah. Or like a lion grows out of your tummy and it can like hit you on the dick and cause problems. Those are all perfectly good successes, but Vegapunk's got a slightly higher standard, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. I guess there's three options there. Either, yeah, he has higher standards or... Ulterior motives. Ulterior motives or... Uh, I had a third one. I promise. I did. <laughs> uh, let me know if you think of it. Yeah. Yeah, I'll get back to you. <laughs> Very good. And that takes us into, like, the big what-the-fuck <laughs> moment of the chapter that I'm still trying to wrap my brain around to this moment. We pop over to the treasure room that the Nine Red Scabbards were popped into after their catastrophic failure against Kaido. They're getting up. They're like, hmm, someone tended our wounds. Don't know who. Time to get back into the fight. But bam, door opens. And who is it? But Kozuki Odin himself, or so it seems. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. My notes for this just say Odin dot 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 question mark. Mine say exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that I find weirdest is that, as you said, he like comes in through the door. So he treated them then left in order to come back and make a dramatic entrance, which does seem very Odin, but <laughs> does not seem very helpful. True, and it's also not necessarily what happens, you know, because, like, this is just speculation. But it could be that, let's say, for example, Hiori, right? Mm -hmm. Hiori treated them, left the room, they wake up, unrelated to that, Odin comes in. That's true. Right? not necessarily the case that Odin treated them, left, and then returned. You know, good could point. be two separate parties at work here. Very good point. Especially since I'm looking at the silhouette of Odin here, and uh, he doesn't have any dangly things around his ears like we saw yeah. the silhouette of that other person. Yeah. Back in those, uh, I just had the same thought that, that like this disc of hair of his would probably have stood <laughs> out to us. A little bit. Yes, yeah, we definitely saw like kind of a far away silhouette of that person standing in the room. Mm -hmm. And I think Odin's mushroom head probably would have stood out. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but do we think this is actually Odin though? I don't, I, I can't imagine how it would be. The two thoughts that I had was, uh, the clone clone fruit, like somehow, mm -hmm. but that seems a little far stretched considering we know Bonchan has it. And I don't think he would have had time to touch Odin ever. Uh, indeed. And he was in Impel Down last we saw him. Right. So the only other thought that I had was maybe somehow Toki has a hidden power where, I don't know, she can draw on a memory from the past and bring that forward or something. I, I cannot imagine how this man is here right now. So in that scenario you just described... Toki was the one who tended to them. So she brought mm -hmm. herself from the past. Mm -hmm. So she's here now as well. And then brought like a vision or something of Odin or a temporary body. Yeah. Something along those lines. Yeah. I'm, for Odin. I'm literally just racking my brain trying to think of any way for this to make sense. And I, I, honestly, when we saw the silhouette of the person that was helping the red scabbards, I thought, you know, maybe it could be Toki there because they have very similar hairstyles with the loopies. Mm -hmm. So like w with that, it still does kind of add up in my head and I could see this being like, uh, like she, she would know how much the 
scabbards put Odin up on a pedestal, obviously. They are his retainers. Mm-hmm. So, like, a message from him, she knows that it would bolster their spirit and all of that to an insane amount. So it would be a very good strategic move, even if, you know, it's not the real Odin, so he can't actually fight. It could spur on others to do the same. So who knows? I suppose so. I mean, if it does turn out that it's not the real Odin and the idea was to boost morale, I think morale is going to drop a fair amount when this Odin inevitably has to return from whence he came or disappears or whatever ends up happening to him. I don't know. I feel like having, you know, some final words with him or just, you know, him giving words of encouragement or thanking them for what they've done for him could do a lot. And if he explained it at the start, like, hey, this isn't going to be forever, then I could see it working out. I do hear what you mean. It's definitely not as impactful as the man himself being here. But Mm -hmm. again, I don't know how that makes sense. Now, there were two other theories I sort of entertained when I was thinking about it earlier today. The first, and I think this is the less likely of the two, just because we haven't seen him indicate the ability to do this. But you remember uh, Oni Maru, the like transforming fox that turned into like the... Oh, the one that gathered the swords? Indeed. That fox seems to have some sort of shape-shifting ability, but we don't see him utilize it in any capacity other than transforming into like his big guy, Ben K, sword collector guy mm-hmm. form, you know? So I think extrapolating that to mean he can just transform into anybody when there are like 12 other cloning abilities <laughs> in the world of One Piece. Bit of a stretch. Yeah, yeah. But uh, the other theory I had is that this is perhaps Conjuro. Not, this isn't Conjuro. That's not my theory, but... <laughs> Kondro is alive and has drawn Odin. So this is like a construct that he has created to mess with them in some capacity. Yeah. Yeah, that totally could could be. I mean, it would be real easy. Well, I don't, I don't know how much control he has over his drawings because of his secrecy, obviously. Mm-hmm. But if this thing could do actual damage to them, they would have their guard down and it would be able to make short work of them probably. I don't think it's going to have the same level of power as Odin himself oh, God, did. No. We saw that the ink... No <laughs> that way. That would be a problem if it did. Uh, but we've seen his ink be able to like physically damage them when he like created that like rain cloud of like piercing ink when he, uh, when he was fleeing from the group on the seas. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So maybe that's what's going on here. But like a weird thing is that you may recall like our first or second episode, you commented just how much leg uh, Odin shows. But he's wearing a long kimono here. We've never seen him wear something like that in the past. That is true. Ever. That's true. The man likes his legs. His arms are super beefy. They got that right. But uh, Indeed. Yeah, something doesn't add up here for sure. Very strange. Furthermore, if this is somehow Toki bringing an image of Odin or Odin himself, whatever from the past, then he should, in theory, still have Enma and... Mm. I forget the other name of the sword, but the other one. Yeah. But I I looked it up, and these are not the sword handles of either of those two swords. Okay, okay. Thank you for doing that research. So uh, I think the moral of the story is something weird is going on here, and I don't have a clue what's going on. Yeah, it really sucks that we have to wait two weeks to find out more. Yeah. Damn you, Oda. You've really screwed us on this. Yeah, I mean, thank you for, like, taking care of yourself, probably, but come but on. But also, damn you. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I have to speculate on this, I suppose. That pretty much wraps up the manga discussion. Uh, like Jordan noted, no chapter next week. Next chapter hits March 28th, officially. Take it away with the reread. Okay, as... Thomas said earlier, we're doing chapters 101 through 114. Mm-hmm. That covers the reverse mountain arc through the Whiskey Peak arc. Correct. Right off the bat, I think this is where the physical world building of One Piece really starts to shine. We get the Grand Line, we get the Red Line, we get the Calm Belt, we get log poses, eternal poses. Like all of this stuff is just chucked at us right here. 
All the mechanics. Right. Everything we need to know in basic about navigating the Grand Line and why it's hard. And it's done so well. I realized that this was a reinforcement of knowledge that I already had, but Mm -hmm. I was trying to look at it from the perspective of a fresh reader, and it's like, okay, personally, I don't know much about sea currents or weather patterns or magnetic Mm -hmm. fields, but everything that Oda says as an explanation it's succinct, it makes sense, and I bought it. Like, <laughs> I'm sure that he did do some research to make sense of it, but, like, going into it, I was like, how the, yeah, how the heck is there a river that runs up the mountain? And, of course, <laughs> physics would not actually let that happen. But right. adding the currents together, I was like, okay, that's cool enough that, like, yes, that can slide. We're good. <laughs> Doesn't quite make science sense, but I'll believe you this time, Oda. (laughs) Right. It makes one piece world sense. Exactly. Yes, yes, yes. And it's great. So I was just, I was very impressed with that. World building is one of my favorite parts of any story, really. So it's it's nice to see this reminder of why I would have been drawn in in my first reading, although obviously Mm -hmm. I would have been drawn in before chapter 100. But (laughs) it's these sort of things that keep you coming back, you know? Indeed. These are the things that kept me up as like a 15, 16 year old reading chapters instead of doing homework. (laughs) Precisely. Plus the way that Oda kind of goes about doing it across these chapters, he could have just like, I think early on in this uh, chunk of chapters in chapter 101, Nami kind of explains what the calm belt is, right? Could have just left it at that. But Oda really wanted to drive the point home by having them end up in the calm belt and showing us with our own eyeballs why it's a bad idea to go there and why we can't, like what Zora was suggesting, just sail to the south and go in from anywhere. It really helps drive the point home when you can actually see it with your own eyes, you know? Oh, yeah. And when the consequences are right in front of you, you cannot deny it. Quite so. And then the rest of like the details of how navigation happens on the Grand Line with all the log pose and all that crud kind of sprinkled out piecemeal up until they eventually end up on their first island, Whiskey Peak, which I think is a, a wise way to do it so that the, the audience doesn't get overwhelmed with all the mechanics all at once. Right. You're learning as the crew learns. Exactly. Yeah. It feels so natural. Agreed. Agreed, agreed, agreed. The next thing that jumped out to me was, I know that I brought this up in the past, but it turns out that Luffy eating bones is a much more common occurrence than I thought. But yeah, Luffy should really be careful because he may end up puncturing himself and he doesn't have a doctor around. Not yet. So I hope he's chewing those bones real good. (laughs) Indeed. The one thing he's weak to at this point in the story is pointy stuff. And Mm -hmm. he chooses to ingest those things as quickly as he can. So yeah, we'll see how long this guy lasts. (laughs) Spoilers. I think he'll be okay. (laughs) Indeed, A good long while. Yeah. And there was all of the stuff with Laboon in this chunk of chapters, which it's very emotional and heartfelt. And I love the way that Luffy dealt with it with the, like, I'm your rival now. You have something else to live for. That felt great. Like, that's a perfect example of who Luffy is. I did find it strange that Laboon understood human language. I don't know if that's just, like, common knowledge in this universe, but... Nami was just like, oh, yeah, he understands humans, right? Like, this will be fine. And I was a little taken aback by that, (laughs) but whatever. Yeah, it's like a cartoon world, so it's not, like, terribly surprising to me that it it does work that way. I do think it's weird that all the characters kind of assume that to be the case. Right. But at the same time, if he was close enough with a group of humans to sit around and wait for them for 50 years after being told by them to sit there and wait... You can kind of put two and two together and figure out for yourself that he understands people, because otherwise he would have just followed behind him anyway. That's right? fair. That's fair. I guess going into this, I did kind of have the mindset of like, okay, I can see how a whale would see the silhouette of a boat on the ocean and be like, oh, that's one of me. I'll follow that. <laughs> that's one of me. But you're right. Like they did tell him to wait. So, okay, that is fair. Oh, in this chunk of chapters, I did get to properly meet Mr. Snowman, which I thought was exciting. (laughs) Indeed. A real contender for a number one most popular character in that poll, no doubt. 
Oh yeah, with how well constructed and good looking he is, it just makes sense. Indeed. Now we only have the preliminary results right now, but I have no doubt in my mind that Mr. Snowman is going to zoom to number one in probably uh, all of the territories. Oh yeah, I was logging on daily and putting in my votes, so it better. Hoo boy. (laughs) I did want to talk briefly about the man himself, Crocus. Love that guy. Love him. Indeed. <laughs> what a silly man. The first time we see him, <laughs> he's on that island inside of the boon's stomach. The first thing he does is like launch three big-ass harpoons through a sea cane, as described as. It was much smaller than the other sea canes we'd already seen, but a sea cane nonetheless. So we know this guy is very strong. Mm-hmm. And he's like, don't try to fight me. Someone's going to die. And he looks at them all menacingly. Sanji's like, who's going to die? Crocus says, me. I <laughs> loved that. What a silly, silly man. But as you know, nowadays we know that this guy was on the crew of the pirate king himself. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Checks out. He would be a buff, buff man. Oh, yeah. I was keeping that in my head the whole time. You know, I, I had some flashbacks to the scene where he knocks Roger out because he's drunk or whatever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Crocus, he was a shining light in, in this world where. A lot of bad stuff happens around this chunk. (laughs) But his humor alone kind of proves how much of a force he is to reckon with. Like, he has no idea who these people are, and immediately upon seeing them, it is just joke after joke after joke. He is not worried about anything. (laughs) Quite so. His hobby is painting the sky and clouds (laughs) inside Laboon's stomach. Which, by the way, I had somehow completely forgotten this whole chunk that takes place inside of Laboon. I was like, is this a fever dream that I'm having right now? What is going on? (laughs) But towards the end, when uh, Miss Wednesday and Mr. Nine showed up, I was like, okay, wait, yeah, this is is actually seeming familiar. I remember this now. Right, yeah. Speaking of Miss Wednesday and Mr. Nine, we know now, like we find out during this chunk of chapters, that Miss Wednesday is... Phoebe, right? Princess of Alabasta. But when we first meet her, uh, she tried to kill Laboon, you know, for food, whatever, mm-hmm. fair enough, but also tried to murder Crocus with cannons to make that happen. But, you know, that's not cool. Just makes you wonder how many other pretty bad things she's had to do while undercover with Baroque Works. Right. Like, I understand that she has her own mission, but her morals are at least a little bit in question here. I understand that one person's life is not much in comparison to her entire kingdom, but still, to attempt to murder a completely innocent man uh, is a bit weird. Indeed. And I don't remember completely if this is true or not, but I don't think we get like any bits up until Vivi disappears from the story uh, about any like having to come to terms with any of the things she did while undercover. It's just kind of glossed over once we find out that she's a princess <laughs> it is a strange thing to just brush over so then you know they make their way to whiskey peak which seems great and we soon learn is not but one of the things that i wanted to bring up uh, especially in regards to what we had talked about last week is the fact that four members of the baroque works that were kind of like in charge during this bit all seemed pretty shocked at Luffy's 30 million bounty. So for these people, even though they're at the start of the grand line for them to be like, Oh my goodness, 30 million. And then also see Zoro and be like, okay, he's the one worth 30 million. Like <laughs> mm-hmm. that, that does say that I think it's, I think it's impressive no matter where you come from, as opposed to just being from the East blue because these guys would have seen people from all oceans coming through here. So our boys are starting off hot. I think you are probably correct. I think that, uh, as we speculated last week, the 30 million unprecedented first bounty is indeed uh, worldwide. Yeah. Speaking of Whiskey Peak, though, you know how we were talking a little bit ago, how all that crazy shit that calm belt the crazy weather patterns and all that makes it difficult to enter the grand line mm-hmm, mm-hmm. kind of sounds like baroque works is also aiding the hype about how difficult it is to enter because i think somebody says that baroque works has several of these like early grand line outposts set up just designed to fuck over uh 
scrub sailors trying to get their footing, right? Yeah. So makes you wonder like how much of the like the hype surrounding the Grand Line, how difficult it is to get in there, is being bolstered by the fact that Baroque Works is setting up shop. And we don't know how long they've been doing this. I'd assume well, I don't know, because Zoro always says during this chunk that long ago they came to recruit me. So Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? A couple years, five years, probably. Zoro's not that old, so probably not much more than that. I would suspect that for this to be put together, you would need a sizable chunk of time because there are, you know, there's a hundred bounty hunters here, and I think they've said there are thousands of them in the organization overall. And just to amass that many people, you would need at least, yeah, five or ten years, even if you are as scary as Crocodile. Plus, presumably, I mean, we don't know, but... I would assume that this island and all the other Baroque Works islands were inhabited by people <laughs> before uh, mm-hmm. Baroque Works took over. So they would have had to show up, kill or recruit everybody in the town, build up their base and, you know, do all that logistic stuff to yeah. be able to trick all these people. So Yeah. Speaking of the island itself, this harkens back to the world building that I am so much in love with. <laughs> the whole using the graves the tombstones of the pirates that they best to make the needles of the cacti Mm -hmm. originally i was actually going to complain about it and call that a like a risky move on their part but i gave it some more thought and i would imagine that usually 100 bounty hunters at the start of the grand line could very quickly take care of their targets this is definitely an anomaly for them so most of the time their prey would not even get the chance to closely inspect the cacti so i think it's just a neat little world building thing that like it's kind of just like a throwaway because it's it's commented on once and then probably not brought up again but i loved it i was like oh my goodness that that alone makes this island stand out in my head yeah i agree i mean you first arrive there and you're like oh that's cool it's like a a big cactus island that's pretty neat then there's a hidden meaning behind the big cactus it's actually all the dead people. <laughs> oh, it's so daunting to think about it. Indeed. And uh, to touch on your point that like this is an anomaly as far as Baroque Works is concerned, considering their MO is like cozy up to the people, knock them out with food and drink, and then kill them in the night, yeah, I'd say it's probably fairly unlikely that they even most of the time have to fight, <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. I would imagine it's... Well, yeah, I'm, I'm a little surprised that they didn't just straight up poison them. Or Well, no, never mind. They did say that the reward goes down if they are dead, so never mind. Indeed. And I think that's the first and perhaps only time like the details of how collecting those bounties works has gone into. So oh, really? That's pretty neat. I kind of knew it was first, but I did not think that it was the only. At the very least, I don't remember any other times. You know, I never forget anything, no matter the circumstances. So, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. How do we feel about Zoro murdering 100 people, give or take? Well, okay, morally, pretty bad. <laughs> but pretty badass, though. <laughs> <laughs> it is. He did use the back of his sword for the quote-unquote nun and child. <laughs> That's but... true. Otherwise, many people's blood are on his hands, and Zoro definitely had a lot of impressive feats in this little section. But one thing that I noticed that stood out was that when they're like climbing the ladders to get to him on the top of a building, this man is sitting down cross-legged in front of the ladder, and he has the strength to flip it with like 10 to 12 people on it. Those mm-hmm. angles don't work out to be an easy push. Certainly not. And he has a great time doing it, too. <laughs> Big old grin on that man's face. Oh, yeah. He gets to let loose here, which has got to be really nice for him. Because he, he says he's trying out his new sword, you know? This is the perfect opportunity. Going forward, as Zoro starts to fight more, like, serious opponents, we don't see him, like, have a good time like this fighting his enemies. So it's nice mm. to see what is, perhaps for the last time, him just, like, basically messing around with these people. <laughs> right, yeah. It was a delight to go through it all, just watching Zoro have his time. Quite so. Quite so. Then quite a bit happens. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> there, yeah, there are many fights here, and 
most of them, I don't know, I didn't care about them too much. I thought, you know, they were interesting. But Are you talking shit on my favorite fight in One Piece, Zoro versus Mr. Nine? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, not not that one, actually. It was more the unnamed people. Oh, um, the random scripts, got it. Right. So I'm going to bring up something that I've had a problem with in manga for a while, just in general. Oh, please do. I've always found it odd when the characters almost monologue about who they are and what they can do. Mm-hmm. I get exposition and how that works, and you need to get that information to the audience. But in this case especially, when they say, like, Baroque Works' motto is mystery, then for, for Miss Valentine to show up and be like, hey, I can, I can change my weight. I can do that. Like, it just felt so strange to me. I feel like it was a bit of her just being like, uh, guys, I'm here. Pay attention to me. I can do stuff. Like, I understand that for some reason you guys are fighting each other, but I'm actually the enemy here. It still felt weird to just be like, this is what my fruit does. This is what I can do. There you go. I agree. And yeah, that's also a general complaint I have with manga and i feel like this is a not an excuse for these types of characters i guess but how i generally head can and justify these types of people is that many of the miss valentine type villains in manga are you know the pompous cocky types so as far as her headspace is concerned these people that she's revealing her power to are about five seconds away from being smushed anyway so there's not really as far as she's concerned not any risk, really, in revealing her nature of her powers. Okay. You're saying it's the same thing as Queen in this in the most recent chapter. Yeah, pretty much. Just being like, you guys are going to die. It doesn't matter what you hear. Exactly. As we know, I mean, with Miss Valentine, who cares about her anyway? It doesn't really amount to much. But with Queen, yeah, it backfires on them. But they're so convinced that they're going to win <laughs> that it doesn't really seem like a risk to them. Right, yeah. And really, they probably should have been able to put up a better fight, but they... I feel like Baroque Works, as much as they are, like, team-based, the, I guess, the higher numbers, the lower-ranking ones, really don't have much teamwork. Like, they work together, but not in tandem, if that makes sense. Sure. Like, as an example, we don't meet these characters here, but Miss uh, Merry Christmas and Mr. Four later on, they're a team... Because like their powers are like smacking baseballs around, and uh, what's her face with Merry Christmas can like immobilize people. So the baseballs hit them, you know that kind of crap. But uh, Mister mm-hmm. Nine and Miss Wednesday, as an example, they're like their special traits don't seem to like mesh as well as those other two. But they certainly seem to be like nicer to one another than uh, the higher members. That's true. That's another thing that caught me by surprise. Miss Monday and Mr. Nine, like, turn to defend Vivi was pretty cool. Uh, unexpected, for sure, even though I kind of already knew that it happened. Mm-hmm. I would just expect people in those positions to have loyalty to this terrifying figure that apparently has very easy ways to eliminate things that annoy him. I suppose so, but at the same time, in this particular scenario, they messed up, right? They failed a mission that they defend their base or whatever. The unluckies were there to view it all. So they were probably, as far as they were concerned, going to be killed off by the boss anyway for losing his aura as badly as they did. But also, it kind of seems like a setting up to me, like a difference in dynamic between the lower-ranking officers of Baroque Works, the ones that are like doing more missions and actually mm-hmm. like out there, like in the mud, doing all the the grunt work, pretty much. They form like a closer bond as opposed to the higher up members that, you know, mostly just chilling and waiting for the boss to unveil his bid plan, you know? Yeah. It also shows something that I feel is pretty common in One Piece. It's not a steadfast Mm -hmm. rule or anything, but having more power is going to corrupt you more. And these people that are lower on the scale, they're more human basically they see the struggles that vivi has and they do want to help her because well i guess mr nine calls her you know he says we're partners not 
friends or anything, but I feel like that's basically what he was trying to get across. Uh, true. Crocodile's spoken goal of Baroque works is create a utopia. And to that end, they got to kill and rob pirates. You know? Yeah. So that's not really a, a moral wrong as far as society's concerned. They're just dealing with trash, pretty much. <laughs> so, like... Right, right. I would imagine that perhaps most of the people in this town aren't necessarily bad people. They're they're not bad people. They're opportunistic, almost. Exactly. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So I'm, I'll agree to that. I like that. As I've said before, I am paying more attention to the SBSs, and uh, this one has one where Oda says, even this far back, he says that he's had to cut content for page restrictions. Mm-hmm. There's a little tidbit he has on Usopp's new goggles where he shows the sketches that he had. So I just think it's an interesting thought experiment to sit there and be like, oh man, if Oda really would have had free reign over this, like what else would we have seen that we didn't? I dream about that every single day. <laughs> I know, I know. It's It weighs on me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the SBSs have been delightful. Just learn a little tidbits and all that. And then actually, I'm uh, my last point here I can move on to, kind of jumping ahead to the end of this chunk. When Sanji first meets Robin, he straight up points a gun at her. Like, Yeah, that's his very first interaction with a woman he's going to fawn over every day for a long time. <laughs> yeah, not only is it uncharacteristic for him to use mm-hmm. a gun... But to point any weapon at a woman, just Indeed. bizarre. Very out of character. Now, granted, he just woke up. He didn't know what was going on. He just heard somebody threatening people. He's like, all right, time to spring into action. And then once he's thrown over the edge of the balcony there, he's like, oh, right, that lady's hot. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Business as usual. Um, but yeah, very, very unusual for uh, Sanji in a couple capacities. Yeah, and I think Usopp actually says to him, like, do you know what you're doing? Like, uh, Which I thought was a nice little, little tidbit. This is the first time we meet Robin. She's Miss All Sunday as of now, but uh, she's been around for about four seconds, and she's already being sneaky and weird. So, Yeah, and she really starts out with one of her best outfits. Right. The cowboy look on her, or cowgirl, I guess. I don't know. It is, it is so good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And like, I feel like, well, the the outfit changes are always something to look forward to in the uh, like changing of the arcs. Mm-hmm. But I feel like up until Wano, I was a little disappointed in Robin's stuff. It just wasn't as like standout or interesting. But the start and like through Skypia and all that, she is she stands out very well and looks very well put Indeed. together. I think you're joining a uh, large group of people that really uh, stan Robin's cowboy hat outfit. Oh, really? Indeed. That's, that's, that's like a thing? Very popular outfit, indeed. Okay. Well, they all have good taste, so I approve. <laughs> Just so. But Robin's very first action that she takes as a character in One Piece, we know later that she either didn't really do it or she failed at doing it or whatever, however he survived, but was the bomb the crap at an interim ship. Yeah. That entire horizon was filled with fire. So, uh, not cool, Robin, not cool. Yeah, I'm going to assume that it was the turtle that she rode in on that did that. (laughs) You're going to blame Boonchi? Uh, if, if it means the not innocent turtle, if it means not blaming Robin, <laughs> yes, <laughs> unbelievable. You've got a waifu, and you're willing to blame innocent turtles <laughs> just to let her get away scot free. Don't think that I'll forget this, Jordan. Uh, you might don't think that I'll forget this. But that's all that I had for this chunk. You got anything else to throw out here? The only thing I have left is sure does suck that they've been in the Grand Line for, mm, check my watch, uh, four seconds, and they are already up against a Warlord of the Sea. Mm, bad luck, boys. Well, yes, bad luck to normal people, but Luffy and Zoro are uh, cheesed. They are... <laughs> yeah, they're 
pleased as punch about what's going yeah, on. Yeah, pretty hype. Even though they shouldn't be, because <laughs> not like a few days ago, they got messed up real hardcore by someone of theoretical similar strength. So, uh, yeah. Even mm-hmm. even going into this with slightly more knowledge does not give them enough of an edge on paper. Quite. But all the same, they're excited to be going up against strong people. So we'll see how that works out for them in a few more episodes, probably. I don't know how many uh, chapters Alabasta is in total, but we'll uh, get there when we get there. Yeah. Alrighty. Unless you have anything else to add, I guess we'll go ahead and wrap up. No chapter next week, like we said. So as discussed, uh, we'll be going on a break as well, and we will return with the podcast the week the chapter 1008 comes, which will be the week of March 28th. Indeed. And just as a closing remark from both Thomas and me, we do this completely for fun. There's really nothing we get out of it. But if you, the listener, like what we've been doing, we could use a hand in getting the word out. So, if you know anyone who might be interested in One Piece or hearing two dudes talk about a manga, we would appreciate our name being spread. Certainly don't have to, but we have been making an effort to increase the availability of it on the number of platforms. So, you know, anything anyone could do, we'd appreciate. And if you've stuck around this long, then obviously you think we're doing something right. So, thank you. Indeed. With all that said, we will talk to you guys in two weeks. Have a good one. Bye-bye.